We'll go ahead and grab a seat uh, if you can find one, because uh, this is bonkers. Uh, welcome, one and all. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith, and I am our college teaching director uh, slash music stand mover. And man, I am just so excited. Wow, now that you've sat, I realize how many people are here, and this is awesome. This is awesome. Uh, how many of us, just for my own kind of personal knowledge, how many of us are actually very first-time visitors to this room right now. Oh, man. Well, welcome. whoopity doopity. That's awesome. Okay, so of you that just raised your hands, how many of you are the proudest members of the fighting 2019 people? Hey, all right, most of you. Good. All right, good, 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 good. Uh, I'll let you uh, hash it out who is actually the proudest afterwards. Uh, please wait until then. Uh, man, I, I am just so excited to be here with you guys. Uh, our whole staff is just so excited to be here with you. Uh, if you have <laughs> any uh, problems, though, if, if you're noticing, man, uh, this guy next to me is a sweaty ball. Like, I can't, I don't know what to do. He didn't wear deodorant. It's kind of gross. Or, you know, this girl, she smells like paprika, which, you know, some people like that, but I don't. You know, whatever it is, if you enjoy parking closer uh, than, you know, snook, uh, then I would encourage you to consider uh, we have a 7 p.m. service. Uh, Here in this building, right here at this moment or in this place, uh, we have a 7 o'clock service that you can come to, a college worship Band's a little bit different. Uh, some of the way that we could, the flow of the evening is a little bit different. Message is the same. It's a great opportunity for you to maybe have a little bit of a more a smaller environment. Uh, it's growing. It's it's getting bigger, but it's still considerably smaller than this. Uh, so again, if you uh, are, are that's kind of more your jam. You'd you'd rather kind of have a little bit more low key, not quite as crazy and smell filled. Uh, just come, come in at 7 p.m. service, man. I strongly encourage you. If you had a friend that tried to show up and, and walked away, we were turning away a bunch of people uh, when I was walking up. Uh, please, please, please let them know, hey, we have a seven o'clock service that they can, we would love for them to be a part of. A really great chance for them to come uh, be known. And honestly, there's, there's other great ways that you can get connected here that we'll talk about at the end of all this. Uh, but this is exciting. This is really exciting. Uh, I am so excited at the beginning of any, any fall semester, mainly because it kind of takes me back. It lets me remember that first freshman experience, right? When, when my roommate and I first moved into our dorm room, which was in Dunn Hall, Dirty Dunn, because uh, it was only boys at the time, so it was really, it was more like just disgusting Dunn. Uh, but we... We moved in, and we were excited. We were excited because we were moving out of a summer that had been spent right at home or at camp. A lot of us are coming from summers at home or at camp or at work or maybe taking classes. And when you're in those environments, you're having to live by someone else's rules, right? You're following someone else's path, and you, you don't have uh, full freedom. You, you have kind of a limited freedom. But we were moving into our freshman year of college. A lot of you are moving into your freshman, sophomore, junior year of college where you have complete freedom. Right? Like that, that was the moment when my roommate and I moved in. We got all of our stuff set. It was the very first night. And we were like, man, we can do anything we want. We can stay up all night. We can drink soda. We can rob a bank. You know, like whatever <laughs> we want can happen because we were the masters of our domain. Like we could do whatever we wanted. And so what we did is we left our room. We said, forget this little 
prison cell. We're going to wander around the commons, and we bumped into this guy and girl who were just kind of sitting on the couches in the commons on Southside, and we were like, hey, what are y'all doing? They're like, we were going to play dominoes, and we were like, well, we'll play dominoes too. And so we sat down and played dominoes with some dude and girl, uh, and we played until like three in the morning, just playing dominoes in the commons, while this one random dude went up to, there was a piano in the commons at that time, and he went up and he was just playing this beautiful classical music just all evening. Like until we went to bed. Like he was still playing when we went to bed at 3 a.m. He was just playing. And, so, and essentially we played dominoes while listening to classical music with complete strangers. Uh, A.K.A. just the, I'm assuming the typical first night experience of Texas A&M University. You're all like, oh yeah, the domino night. I know that one. Uh, <laughs> And man, that was the moment that kicked off a a semester of freedom for us, where we realized, oh my goodness, like, we don't have to sleep anymore. Like, we don't have to attend all of our classes. We don't have to eat food that's not from Chick-fil-A. Like, we can just do whatever we want. And it became this beautiful, liberating, chicken sandwich-filled dream. And I remember so vividly that moment of realizing, of starting that journey. And I remember so vividly that end of that semester where I kind of was wrapping up. We were taking finals. Everything was closing down. We were moving out of the dorm room. And I looked back at my semester and I remember having a moment where I realized, wow, we were perpetually sick all semester. Uh, By the end of that semester, I had Q dropped two classes. My first semester, you only have three. Or we did. I don't know what it is now. 10 or zero, I don't know. But I used 66% of my Q drops right at the beginning of school. Uh, We would sometimes bump into the domino couple every once in a while, and it was like really strange. Like it was more awkward than it should have been uh, because it was just like, it's weird. Like, let's just forget the domino. Like, I don't know. Like, that was. Every time we walked by that piano, the classical guy disappeared, and there was always just one of three dudes uh, all failing to learn the same Coldplay song that was cool at the time. In other words, our dream had become a nightmare, and we realized this freedom maybe took us to a place that we didn't expect to be. It took us to a place that we didn't expect to go. Man, the truth is that we all have something within us that longs for a complete freedom. The freedom to do what we want, how we want, when we want. And our culture affirms that desire. Our culture preaches and practices the philosophy of relativism. Meaning you get to do what you want to do. Everyone is free fully free to make their own way. And if you really care about other people, then you will applaud, you will cheer on, you will affirm that freedom in other people's lives. That's what we're told. That's what we're immersed in. That's our culture in this day and age. One that celebrates, preaches, practices relativism. And I'll tell you, college is often presented as the very first step on that path to freedom. That first step where you realize, man, I can do whatever I want. And you're encouraged to run down that path. But I want us to just pause right now at the beginning of this semester. Maybe it's your first, maybe it's your fifth, maybe it's your tenth. I want us to pause at the beginning of this semester and actually think, where does that path lead? Where does relativism take us? Where do we wind up at the end of that journey? at the end of that path? This is a crucial question 
that we need to ask ourselves, not just in college, beyond college. This is a crucial question that we should be asking. And what's so beautiful is that our God has given us an answer in the book of Judges. For the first half of this semester, we're going to be walking through the book of Judges. We're going to be pulling out different stories uh, and, and excerpts from it and events. And we're going to be studying the lives of men and women who lived in a culture that celebrated relativism. And what we're going to see as we walk through this is that the book of Judges is interesting because it's not, it's a historical book, but it's not just a simple record of the past. It's not just like a history textbook that you flip through and you can see, you know, year by year what happened in the history of Israel. Instead, the book of Judges actually has a point. It has a purpose. The author selectively chooses certain stories, certain events, certain people to talk about, to cover, and he arranges them, not even in the order that it occurred, he arranges them thematically. And he does all this, he gathers all this to make an argument. It's historical, it's true historical fact, but it still has a point. Sort of like this. Pressure, he's sacked. Aaron Wallace with the sack at the 47-yard line. Got a throw here to Parker at the 20, at the 15, at the 10, at the 5. He is all the... He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! Right, you got to. You got to. Ooh, every time. If you've been to an Aggie football game, uh, you've seen like 90% of those clips. That was the, what we call, I found out the, these have a name. They're called the Spirit of Aggieland videos. And it's what we play before every single home game. And that was the one from last year. And you watch, the, I mean, there's more to it, but that was just part of this video that we watched for every single home game. And these are things that happened, right? That, that is a historical, uh, there are historical events occurring in that video. But that's not a comprehensive, exhaustive history of Aggie football, right? Because if it was, it would be 9,000 hours long and everyone would be kind of sad for a lot of it. Like, that's just kind of the way it goes. Instead, what do we see? We get to pick out these highlights. We get to pick out these awesome moments, these awesome events, these awesome people. We're like, oh my gosh, Johnny, was he, he didn't hang out with the, what? Like, and we're just so excited in those moments. Why? Because that's the point of the video. The purpose of the video is to get us pumped up to get us excited for the game that's about to occur. The author of Hebrews is pulling real events, real historical people, but he's making a point. And now I say all this, and I realize that we are all entering the book of Judges, uh, maybe from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different uh, teaching, different uh, areas where we've learned or grown or whatever. So to help us out, because the book of Judges basically picks up in the middle of a story, in the middle of a history, So I'm going to help us real quick. I'm going to give you Jacob's thousand years and two minutes recap of the nation of Israel, okay? So as it pertains to Judges. So essentially, if you're familiar with this, hopefully it'll help you remember. Uh, If you're not familiar with this, welcome to Israel. Uh, We understand our knowledge, what we know about the nation of Israel, what we see in our historically accurate Bible is that the nation of Israel began, their story began when God chose Abraham found a guy named Abram, and he said, I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to promise to him 
He promised to Abraham that he would use his lineage to save the world. That was the promise God made to Abraham. And so Abraham starts having kids. And so suddenly he has a grandson named Jacob. And God goes to Jacob and he renames him Israel. He says, you're not Jacob anymore. Now your name is Israel. And you are going to help carry forward this promise. And so Jacob slash Israel had 12 sons. And all those sons had super awesome names uh, like Asher and Naphtali. Uh, If you were at Impact, you're like, oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Right? So we have Impact. They named their camps after these tribes of Israel, these sons of Jacob who became Israel. So all these sons get named these super awesome names. uh, And then their descendants decided, wow, that name was so cool. We should just identify ourselves as a tribe who is named after that son. So suddenly there became 12 tribes of Israel and all of them got their names from those sons. I'm assuming that's why in our modern age, we are, you know, our church nursery is filled with kids named like Arrowhead and like Skylanta because we want this to carry forward, right? Like we're like, I got to come up with a cool name. So my kids turn into tribes or not. I don't know. Uh, But we... We see them grow and flourish, but we see Israel die. Okay, so Jacob slash Israel, he dies. And around that same time, all of his sons, all of those descendants, they got swept up and they became slaves in the land of Egypt. And they remained slaves for about 400 years until God raised up a guy named Moses. And he says, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. You're going to lead them to the land of Canaan. So he raises up Moses, Moses takes him out of Egypt, and they start headed towards Canaan. And as they're approaching this distant land, uh, God started to promise parts of that land to those descendants, to 10 of Israel's sons, and then two of his grandsons. So these 12, so still 12, these 12 tribes are all promised, hey, there's going to be this chunk of land waiting for you that I'm going to give you. I, your God, I'm going to give you this land. So it became known as the promised land. And as they're approaching the promised land, uh, unfortunately, the vast majority of those Israelites, the vast majority of those tribes uh, lost faith in God's promises. About 90, 99% of them lost faith in God's promises and they died in the desert, including Moses, including their leader. They lost faith in God's promises. He says, I'm going to not give you this land and I'm going to wait and pass it to your descendants. So they die in the desert. Their descendants, though, after Moses dies, God raises up a man named Joshua. And he uses Joshua to lead the, the tribes, still 12 tribes, into the land of Canaan. They just start wrecking shot. Man, they, they start fighting and defeating uh, and destroying these incredibly evil societies in the land of Canaan that inhabited it at that time. I mean, very just impressively evil. When I say evil, these people, they were known for their human sacrifices, for their just widespread practice of rape uh, and murder, uh, genocide. It, it was just across the board Horrible, horrific. So God says, I want you to get those people out because I want to give you that land. So Joshua leads them through so much victory. They chase out most of those people, but eventually Joshua died. And when he died, most of the land was already cleared out. So God decided that that was the time that each tribe would move into their promised inheritance. And that's where Judges picks up. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? So the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Israel is poised for greatness. The tribes are on the verge of greatness. They are in the land that has been promised to them, that they've been chasing after, that they've been following the Lord to find. God says, I'm going to give it to you. Judah, right? 
come off the bench. I'm going to send you in first. And Judah goes in and man, they do great. They found, in fact, Adonai Bezek at Bezek. That's literally, uh, his name is literally Lord of Bezek. So of course he's at Bezek. And they fought against him and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and they caught him and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. You know, because that's what you do when you catch a king. So they caught this guy, and we're seeing Judah, basically this is showing they, are in, they have victory over these people, over these lands, over these powerful people. In fact, when they catch him, I love, this is one of my favorite things in the entire book of Judges, is right here. Because they catch Adonai Bezek, they do this crazy thing where they cut off his thumbs and big toes, and he has the best reaction to anything ever. Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table, as I have done. So God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. In other words, they cough his thumbs and his big toes and he was like, yeah, I get figures. You know, <laughs> makes sense because <laughs> I did that to 70 other people. I love this so much. Uh, where we see, again, Israel, these tribes, they're moving into this land and they are just wrecking shop. The God, God is behind them and he's paving the way for them to have victory over these people. But, but. What's so tragic about the book of Judges is as soon as we see them get this taste of victory, as soon as we see them start to rise to the occasion and claim the land that God has promised to give them, they begin to make compromises. They begin to slip up. They begin to fail to follow through in the path that God has laid before them. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. The Israelites moved in. They said, you know what? Instead of chasing them out, instead of killing them, God has commanded us to do one of those just to get them out of the way. Instead of doing that, why don't I just make them clean my house? Why don't I just make them work my fields? Why don't I just make them into slaves, into forced labor, they can work for me. And hey, you know, that's probably a more gracious thing to do. That's probably the kinder thing to do. Who wants to get chased out? Who wants to get murdered? They can just be slaves. They can still live here. We can still coexist on some level. Israel decided in that moment, you know what? It's probably best for us, rather than to chase these people out, it'd probably be best for us to just make a compromise, allow certain elements of this culture to remain. God called his people to follow his path very clearly. And yet his people did not trust that his way was best. That's what we see here is a lack of faith, a lack of trust in the Lord. He says, follow me, come this way, do as I instruct you. They say, no, nah, I, don't, I don't know if that's really, I don't know if that's going to be best. So they made compromises. They thought, maybe these people aren't that bad. Maybe we can just uh, coexist. Maybe that'll be okay, right? Maybe it'll work out. Some of you are moving into houses or back into houses maybe uh, for this next year. And you probably have grand ideas and dreams of having a house that is clean and organized <laughs> And I was like you once. <laughs> I lived that life. I had those dreams. And my roommates and I, every single, every single year, I lived in a house for three years of college. Every single year, we would start, every semester, we would start off with just great, big talk and roommate meeting. We'd sit around and be like, okay, look, guys, like, let's get serious. We have girlfriends now. 
They don't feel comfortable using our kitchen or bathrooms. We need to get serious about what's going on in this home. So we'll make a job chart. Every semester, we made a job chart on our whiteboard. And we said, this is what I'll do this week, and this is what you do. And we mapped it all out. It's so great. We're going to share the load. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to have this wonderful, clean, smelling good house. Every semester. And you know what? It would work for about never. Because... It was always doomed. Why? Because as soon as one guy failed to follow through on his end, as soon as one guy made a compromise on his chore, on his job for the week, the first slip would immediately crash the entire system. If there was one plate left in that sink, suddenly it's all plates. It's all dishes. Our neighbor's dishes are in our sink (laughs) because that one got in there. As soon as one person didn't take out a full trash can, we would have, and we had like three trash cans. We would have all three trash cans just being, turning into these beautiful leaning towers of garbage. And people would just add to it. They'd take pictures and they're like, wow, it's pretty cool. It smells terrible, but it looks really cool. Because no one would take it out. As soon as one guy left his drink cup in the living room, then everyone's just like pouring soda out like for fun on the couches. Because like, wow, why not? Because as soon as one person failed to follow through, the entire system would fall apart. The entire system would become corrupted. As soon as Israel started making those compromises, as each tribe individually, what we see in the first three chapters, each tribe individually starts to make compromises, and then we see every single tribe fall into corruption. Corruption. And that corruption would sit and grow and fester until eventually God would bring judgment and those people would be destroyed. Those Israelites, those tribes of Israel would be destroyed at the hands of the people that God had previously given them victory over. Their compromise created corruption, which led to destruction every single time. And it's tragic. The book of Judges is dark and tragic. Because we see the truth about humanity. We see where those compromises lead. We see what corruption brings. The author actually ends the entire book on a real downer note. Last couple chapters, the author goes into this story that isn't even, it's not the last thing to happen chronologically, but it's the best way to kind of tie up the whole book with a pretty little bow. He says, there's the story, let me tell you, In these last three chapters, let me tell you about a Levite and his concubine. That's literally the start. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see that's how a lot of times it's even titled. The Levite and his concubine. Chapter 19, verse 1. In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem and Judah. Now the audience is reading this and they're like, okay. That's pretty wacky, right? This is basically the premise to like a wacky ancient sitcom. Like this could be on CBS, like right now. Levite and his concubine. Like, what's going on? Because the Levites are the priesthood. These guys are supposed to be the holy, they're supposed to be the, the cut above the rest. These guys are the priests of God. And he's bringing into his house a concubine. In other words, a prostitute. And he says, you know what? We're, we're going to be a couple now. And so immediately, like, well, I don't know, this seems kind of strange. And sure enough, it didn't work out. In fact, the concubine leaves him and says, for whatever reason, we don't know exactly why, but she comes frustrated with him and she leaves him and she goes to her father's house. And so the Levite waits four months and then he's like, oh, I guess I got to go get her. So he goes after her. 
And we see this kind of like, it's this like wacky kind of like slapstick. Like, oh man, what's going to happen next? He gets to the dad's house. Uh, he stays three nights. He tries to leave. The dad's like, no, stay, eat, drink. He's like, okay. And that happens a few nights in a row. Where he's like, I got to go. And the dad's like, no, 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 stay, stay. And he's like, oh, all right. And so he does again and again and again until eventually he says, no, we got to go. So him and the concubine, they pick up, they leave and they start going home. And on their way, uh, they want to stop uh, for the night at a t- village, but uh, the Levite's like, no, this place is this Gentile. They're Canaanites here. I don't trust them. Let's go to a place where there are Israelites, where there's a tribe of Israel. So they go to a town that's owned, that's inhabited by Benjamites, people from the tribe of Benjamin. And so they settle there, and or they go there for the night, and they're like, okay, this, is, this will probably be go- cool. You know, like, this is a good place to lay our heads down. A guy brings them into their house. He's like, hey, you know, welcome. Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's, let's party. And then in the middle of the night, as they're trying to hang out, uh, a gang of guys from the tribe of Benjamin, a gang of Israelites, a gang of Benjamites, show up at the door, boom, 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 boom. And they're like, hey, send out that Levite because uh, we want to know him. In other words, we want to rape him. And so the owner of the house is like, well, no, I don't think that's cool. How about instead, I'll fix that by giving you my virgin daughter and this concubine who showed up. And so suddenly the gang of guys outside are like, no, that's not good enough. We don't want that. But then the Levite's like, no, 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 the concubine, yeah, for sure. And he throws her out the door and locks it behind her. And so this gang of Benjamites grab her. They sexually abuse her, uh, beat her all night until eventually we find out that in the morning she finds her way to the step and collapses and is unresponsive. So the Levite goes out and he's trying to go home. He sees the little concubine. It says that he calls out to her. He says, hey, come on, let's go. And there's no response. So we don't know if she's dead or if she's just unconscious. This is very important. He decides, okay, well, that's, you know, terrible. And so he picks her up, takes her back to his house, and he's so upset, he's so frustrated with this tribe of Benjamin that he takes this woman who, again, remember, she could be dead or she could just be unconscious, and he chops her up into 12 pieces. And he takes those pieces and he sends them to the 12 different tribes of Israel. And he says, look what Benjamin did. Look what they've done. He fixes this rape and murder by chopping up a person who maybe wasn't actually, who wasn't maybe even dead, sends her out to all these different tribes. And those tribes decide, we're going to fix this by basically committing genocide against the Benjamites. So all of Israel gathers up, they roll into Benjamin, and they murder every single man, woman, and child that lives there. Except for a few dudes, because they realize, wait, we don't want to wipe them all out. Because we have to still have this, you know, uh, God said there's 12 of us and that's a good number. So we're going to keep these dudes from Benjamin. But then they realize, oh, wait, but they can't continue to have kids. Like their line's not going to continue because we killed, we murdered all the women and children of the tribe of Benjamin. So we don't want to give them our women and children because we don't like Benjamin right now. So instead, hey, there's a group of Canaanite women who are hanging out for this festival. Let's just have the Benjamites go kidnap, uh, abduct these women, rape them, and then they'll have kids. And the tribe of Benjamin can continue. That's what happens in chapters 19, 20, and 21 of the book of Judges. Is we see this incredibly disgusting spiral that starts almost sort of light and ends so dark. We see the nation of Israel move into this land where they're pushing out these evil nations who commit rape and murder and genocide only to become a nation that commits rape and murder and genocide. Why? How did they get here? 
how did this happen? How did God's chosen people get to this point? Because in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the last verse of the book of Judges. This is the last statement from the author. And this is the perfect summary of the philosophy of relativism. And what we see in the book of Judges is, man, if this is your practice, if this is what you're preaching, if this is what you're following as a culture, you're headed towards death. You're headed towards death and destruction and darkness. When people have that freedom, man, they don't know what to do with it. We see these people, these chosen people, commit these atrocities that God never commanded, that never approved of. You realize, even when you read it, when I was reading through it, I realized at that verse, oh wait, no one ever went to the Lord in that entire ending chapter. No one ever thought to stop and ask God, like, hey, how should I handle this really terrible situation? How should I handle the fact that this woman was murdered? How should I handle the fact that this tribe committed this atrocity? No one goes to the Lord. We need to realize that there are things that happen in our scripture that aren't always approved or commanded by our God. Just because it happens doesn't mean he made it happen. There's so much in our scripture where we see darkness that is caused only by human sin, human error, human destructive instincts. So we see the nation of Israel hit what is basically rock bottom. But this semester, what's so beautiful is we're going to see over these, next, over these first five weeks, we're going to see God raise up judges. We're going to see him raise up men and women to lead those tribes out of destruction, to lead those tribes away from darkness. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to learn a lot from both their successes and their failures. But we right now, as a people, we don't have a hope in a judge. We don't have hope in those judges that God raised thousands of years ago. Instead, we have hope because God didn't just raise up judges, but because God sent down his son, Jesus Christ, to deliver the entire world from sin and death. We have hope because Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live, die, and rise again for your sake. So that anyone who calls on his name would be saved. So that anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, anyone who asks for the forgiveness that he freely offers, man, you are saved. You are adopted as a son or daughter of the Lord Most High. That's why we have hope. Israel thought it was best to compromise. They thought it was best to maybe deviate from the commands of God to give everyone the freedom to make their own way. But it's not always best to give someone what they want. It's not always loving to give someone what they want in any given moment. The best for someone, the most loving thing for someone, is for them to receive what they need. I have a daughter who's awesome. Her name is Charlotte. She's eight months old. She loves hanging out in baskets. And (laughs) as she's chilling in baskets, sometimes she asks, hey, is it best for me to be in this basket? I don't know what's going on. And I say, Charlotte, baskets are awesome. She's like, yeah, you're right. They are. (laughs) So... Charlotte, we have a lot of moments like that where she's like, hey, is this a good thing? I kind of want this thing. And sometimes I'm like, no, yeah, it's really great. And sometimes I'm like, no. Because sometimes what Charlotte wants uh, is something that will completely and utterly destroy her. Uh, she, just this weekend, okay, just, let's just look back over the last 48 hours of her life. Charlotte wanted 
to pour hot coffee, just like all over herself, like boiling hot coffee. She was like, that's probably good. She just wanted uh, to eat an acorn, a large acorn that was probably just the right size to choke her. She's like, oh, that's probably good. Uh, she decided, you know what? I think I really want to crawl inside of this fireplace. Uh, she also tried to crawl inside of our washing machine. I'm assuming uh, when she got in the washing machine, she would then want to like turn it on and just like get that party started uh, because there are some times where I see her wanting things that would destroy her. Uh, it's not best for me. It's not loving for me to let her do some of those things, right? If I love her, I'm going to seek the best for her. And it's not loving for me to cheer her on when she's going towards death and destruction. It's also not loving for me to push her down and scold her and throw her into the ceiling because she tried to go do something that was bad for her, right? Those are two extremes and neither one is good. It's not best for me to cheer her on. It's not best for me to push her down. Instead, what's best for me to do, what's loving for me to do is to gently, graciously call her away from that path, to gently pull her away from that death and that destruction, point her towards life, point her towards goodness. Israel forgot one crucial truth, that God's way is best because it leads to life. They thought, oh, it's best if everyone gets to do what they want. No, God's way is best because it is the only way that leads to life. Jesus Christ himself tells us he is the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, the life. God's way is best. And you know what? We look at Israel and we can condemn them and think that they're so dumb. But the truth is we still make our own compromises. Our culture desperately wants the freedom to choose abortion. To choose what they want with their body. To choose what they want with their sexuality. To choose what they want with their gender identity. To choose what they want uh, with their morality. Whatever. Our culture is screaming and fighting and pounding and yelling because they want the freedom to do whatever they want. And tragically, sometimes we as Christians, even though we know that God's way is best, even though we know that and believe that and profess that, we fail to speak truth or grace to those people because we get way too caught up feeling defeated, thinking what's the point, or we get too caught up feeling defensive, and wanting to punish them for their mistakes and show them why they're wrong. I'll tell you, both of those reactions, they are not motivated by love. They are motivated by fear. They are motivated by frustration, not love. Paul tells us, God told us through Paul that all of humanity, we are all children of wrath, meaning that we have all chosen death. But while we were still enemies of God, while we had still chosen that path, while we were still deep in our transgressions, in our sin, in our rebellion, God loved us so much that he died for us, that he sacrificed himself for us so that he could call us out of that death, out of that destruction and put us into life. And now as people who have been loved, as people who have been saved, We are called and commanded to love one another. We are called to love our enemies. It's not loving to cheer others on as they race towards death. It's not loving. As they race towards the sale of babies' organs, towards sexual scandals, Involving websites or 
subway or whatever. It's not loving to cheer them on as they are racing towards a culture that has televised murder. A social media presence that they spend so much time condemning it that it almost highlights the people that walk that path. It's not loving to cheer them on. It's also not loving to push them down in punishment. We can trust that Jesus Christ is our perfect judge who will reign forever. It's not on us to bring punishment and judgment into this world. Sometimes we get so caught up, so focused on other people's behavior that we forget what we need to be focused on is their belief. Before we ever fix what someone does, we need to fix what they think, what they believe. So the loving thing for us to do, if we really care about others, we don't affirm that freedom that they want to have. Instead, we tell them that Jesus Christ has already lived and suffered and died so that they can have true freedom. We tell them that God's way is the only way that provides real freedom from sin and from death. If we truly care about these people, we will show them through our own behavior that God's way is best, that it leads to life. I'll tell you, one of the best ways we can do that is by being unified. So if you find a place here at Grace this year, man, I, I, would, love, I would love for you to be a part of the community that we have. But the truth is that there are so many other wonderful churches that you can be a part of, so many other wonderful ministries that you can get involved in. So if you don't stick here, please stick somewhere. That's all I want. Because our unity as brothers and sisters who can overcome so many different divides and divisions and all this stuff, we overcome those because we are unified by our love for Christ, by our love for his people. Man, that shows such an incredible picture to the world around us. Suddenly they notice that and they see, wow, there is another way. There's another path. And it seems like that path is actually leading to life. Because you know what? These other ways aren't working out. Everyone realizes that at some point. So when they look at you, Please let them see a unified body of Christ. One of the ways that we celebrate that unity, one of the ways that we engage in that unity is every once in a while, uh, here uh, on our Sunday mornings and evenings, uh, we take some time in this moment, even though it can be very impersonal, even though a lot of the time is just sort of everyone looking forward, and uh, it's kind of you and the message, or it's you uh, and the worship, it's God kind of speaking to you individually. Uh, We take moments on our Sundays and realize, man, we have an opportunity here. We have so many men and women who are united uh, by Christ, so let's, let's take advantage of that by actually interacting with each other just a little bit just a little bit so what we're going to do here in a minute is you're going to grab a partner right one person maybe two you know it's okay if the numbers work out where you need three people but you're going to grab one or two partners it could be someone you know really well it could be someone that you've never met so go ahead and meet them and you are going to talk about this semester. But not long, you know, this, this isn't like a big, huge, like, here's all the things that I'm doing. Instead, let's have this be a focused time where you pair up with that person and you're going to share with them, man, this is where I really need to trust that the Lord's way is best. You can be vague, you can be specific, whatever you want. Don't feel pressure. But just share with them, hey, I really need to trust the Lord in my relationships. I really want to trust the Lord's path, the Lord's way in school, work family, whatever. Share that with your neighbor, with a, with a partner that you find. 
as you do that, I mean, we're, we're going to be uh, preparing to sing. Again, the band's going to be coming up here right now and uh, preparing to lead us in a little bit more worship. So as you're talking with that partner, uh, please, please, please keep it brief so you can actually pray with one another. And at some point I'll kind of, uh, or I'll be gone, but, but Trey is going to start to lead us in worship again. During that time, you can remain seated uh, if you want to, because it's like bonkers hot. Uh, or if you want to, you can stand. That's great as well. Uh, however you want to worship the Lord in this moment, please Feel free to do that. Feel free in the Lord's path. But in this moment right now, let's take the time to cheer each other on because we're all running the right path. So grab a neighbor, share where you're going to trust the Lord. Ready, set, go. Go.